0: I truly believe nothing just happens in life. My mom used to say, for everything, there is a reason. But imagine being in a foreign country for 10 days on a riverboat with a couple of friends who are waiting to meet yet more of their friends, whom obviously will be sharing living quarters with for the next 10 days. You really don't know how things are going to go. So you just wait. And you pray. And then she walks into your life. Well on this podcast you're going to get to meet her too. Today we are going to explore the role of faith in women's lives and we're going to meet my new friend author Susan Campbell and we're going to hear how her faith has helped her overcome challenges, find meaning, and make life-changing decisions. So whether you're a woman seeking to deepen your faith or simply curious about the role of faith in women's lives, we invite you to join us on this journey of discovery and inspiration. Let's start a conversation, shall we? Oh, (laughs) we gotta talk about that. If we're going down, put your mask on first before you can help anyone else. I'm about to spit out
1: my coffee. Some people call that a crisis of faith, you know, wondering what trajectory your
0: life is going to take. Welcome to Unconditionally Her Conversation, a podcast for women that sets the stage to spark inspiration, create change, and unite women from all walks of life. I'm your host, Karen Shane. This podcast shares that when we truly come together in sisterhood, we form a symphony of profound voices that have the power to transform each other's lives. So whether you're in search for motivation to chase your dreams, or seeking wisdom to navigate life's twists and turns, or just simply yearning to connect with some kindred spirits, well, you've found the place. Come along on this empowering journey as we explore captivating stories, conquer daunting challenges, and revel in the inspiring triumphs that shape the landscape of women's lives. Are you ready? Here we go. Talk about somebody stepping out on faith Susan, you literally wrote the book on stepping out on faith. And I've noticed, I've got your two books here, and particularly as it relates to women. And I think we all have our careers and we're all very proud of our careers, but you have had 20 plus years of sharing your faith with anyone who would listen or anyone who didn't want to listen. Susan's just going to step right in there being unapologetically Jesus. And talk mm-hmm. about your life a little bit and how you got here. Well, I was a career person. I never dreamt I would
1: marry or have children. I always thought I would be on the 32nd floor of some fancy office building. And um, that's not how God actually had my life planned out. And I don't know that I was on this huge spiritual journey or anything, but I found myself, I've always loved Jesus. And that is So true. Since the day I was born, my parents gave me a love and a hunger for him and to pursue him. But there were, you know, like everybody, ebb and flows of your life where you're more kind of into your faith journey and not as much into your faith journey. And I don't know that I was deeply in this walk with Jesus when I was in my early 30s. And I had a young boy who was three years old, and we had just moved to a new town. And I was standing in my closet. And I didn't have a job, so things were not exactly the way I thought I was going to live my life. And as I was standing in my closet, I looked up, it was a two-level closet, and at the top were all my blue suits, my navy blue suits. I love navy blue suits, and I wore them to work. I was in the hotel business for years, and I didn't I didn't have any reason to put those on right this minute because I was a stay-at-home mom with a three-year-old. And um, I looked at the bottom, and it was all sweatpants and you know, comfortable clothes. And I just sat down on the floor of that closet. Honestly, Karen, I cried. And I asked the Lord, I'm like, who do you want me to be? Because I don't feel like I'm either one of those people. I didn't really know that I was, the motherhood journey was going to be mine. I thought I was going to be working. That's not happening out, you know, working out for me. And so it was truly a a cry. Some people call that a crisis of faith, you know, wondering where, what trajectory your life is going to take. A few weeks later, I was sitting at my kitchen table and however this happens for other people, I don't know, but somehow I heard the Lord speak to me and it was a very clear speaking of, um, I want you to lead a group of women at church. And I just was, you know, not all that involved in church. And I wanted to serve in my church, but I didn't at this time. This was in the early 90s. I didn't sing in the choir and I didn't work in the nursery. I wasn't a huge kids person. And so I just didn't have a place of service at my church. And so this audio voice of the Lord, however, he spoke to me, said, I want you to go and and do that. It was such a powerful moment, Karen, that I called my pastor that afternoon of the church. Again, uncharacteristic for me to do something like that. And the next day I was sitting in his office telling him that the Lord had called me to lead the women at the church. And I walked out of his office. So within 24 hours, this kind of call from the Lord and a meeting with our pastor, I was actually now on staff working for the church. They had hired me as the women's ministry director. And this was in, like I said, in the early 90s, that women's ministry programming at church was not really a thing. And uh, we were just on this side of the whole kind of curve of programming and women's ministry and Bible studies and all of that that were happening in churches that just hadn't happened that much. And so I was called into that at this church in Decatur, Illinois, to start a women's ministry program. And uh, I had never prayed in front of a group of people. And the next thing I know, my pastor is asking me to lead the congregational prayer at church one Sunday morning and just one step after another of calling me out of a comfort zone uh, that I didn't know. But let me just say one thing that is really cool about all that I had at that point in time. I had an undergraduate degree in hotel and restaurant administration. I had worked in the hotel business. It was my true love and passion growing up and knew that that's what the Lord had called me early in my life to do. Then I went back and got a master's degree in training and development, adult education. And as I stepped into that role at my church, I could look back and see how the Lord had prepared me vocationally Mm -hmm. through all my experiences of my education to do ministry for him. And I was totally equipped, maybe not spiritually. It wasn't quite there yet on the whole prayer and Bible study and all that. But the wherewithal to be able to implement a women's ministry program was something I uh, could readily and quite easily do for our church and was equipped to do it. So sometimes he calls you out of your comfort zone in one area, but gives you the expertise and the wisdom to do it in another. And so that's kind of how I, and that was 30 years ago that he called me into to doing that. And so then over the course of the 30 years, he's just continually surprised me one day after another, just to be able to stand in front of people and proclaim Jesus. So,
0: yeah. It's interesting to talk about and hear stories like that. We all remember, and I have alluded to it on several podcasts with my friend Kia, I remember stepping out into or, or stepping into my career and just not feeling I belonged there and and felt a longing. And it wasn't until 23 years later that I found my purpose. And sometimes I think as women, we live with regrets saying, gosh, I really wish I had known then what I know now. But there is a preparation and you have to find that faith within yourself to say, okay, I'm being trained for something. Or maybe you're keeping that in the back of your head as you're living your life and doing the mundane things that you have to do. Or you have children and you're just trying to put meals on the table. I think we all as women have that sense of longing. And I think my mom always called them Jesus Taps where he tapped on your shoulder and he's like, I'm preparing you for something. I'm preparing you for something. And I grew up very faith-based. I grew up um, in church Sunday, Sunday night, Wednesday night. That was church. But we also grew up with, this is what you had to do. You've got to go to college. You have to do this. And living in a really small area, I'm not sure exactly where you lived, but living in a really small area, there wasn't a lot of options. But somehow I was able to find those little God moments and find that place of preparation as I kind of went on my journey, but I stayed 23, almost 25 years as a matter of fact. And it's just now that I feel like I'm really dealing in what I feel is my purpose and my calling. And I don't think women should give up hope and I don't think they need to feel like their life, even though they've got a longing, and we talk a lot about that in, with Unconditionally here. I don't think we need to uh, miss those moments and go, okay, I'm being prepared for something. Right. I think that also women have found faith as a source of strength and support, especially here in the South, but I think faith provides a framework for understanding And being able to be equipped to meet things head on and sometimes with a different perspective. Faith
1: is the foundation on which I stand. It isn't something that I necessarily pursue. There is a verse in the Bible that says, for by grace, we are saved through faith. And so God has given us the opportunity to pursue him. So, we always think it's that we have to do all these things and we have to find God in this and find that. I believe in that verse, it is by grace because grace means it's a free gift. So, God has given me the opportunity to have faith. And so, a lot of times we go, Well, I just don't have faith or I don't know where to get faith. Mm. And I really want to go back to the source of that and say, Well, God gives us that gift of faith. And then he gives us the opportunities to pursue that faith, and to realize that faith. So I call it like my faith bucket.
0: So something nice. happens
1: in your life, and you go, you go, I I don't even know if I can do that. Like, let's just say me praying in church in front of a congregation. Well, I don't even know if I can do that. Well, God gave me the opportunity, right, to try my faith on that, and pray in front of a congregation, a big church. And at the completion of that, I did it. I have no I suspect it wasn't a very eloquent prayer. I bet it was a more real prayer, but I did it. And so at the end of that, I can say, and this is, I'm a very big compartment girl, so just please humor me. But at the end of that prayer, I can say, I'm putting that in my faith bucket. So the next time I'm faced with something where I go, oh my gosh, I just don't know what the Lord has in mind for me or if I can do that. Well, guess what? I can go to my faith bucket And I know I can do it because the Lord had given me the strength to somehow stand in front of a church and pray in front of a whole congregation. I know that I can do the next thing that he puts in front of me. And so a lot of times we think that it's this big ta-da that has to happen in our life, when instead it's these baby steps that God gives us the opportunity to take. And should we choose to take them or not? And when we do, we get to say, all right, I've done that before. I can do the next thing. And that for me is, the, is kind of the beginning of faith, but it is only the beginning because uh, faith does not happen without the end result in mind, which is hope. And we are promised that God is going to be and do certain things in our lives And that's where faith and hope connect. So for me, hope is knowing that Jesus came to this earth to live a life that you and I would be able to look at and see what that looks like. So we would know how to live. But the whole awesome thing about faith is, is that there is a final story that Jesus has told. And he says, you're going to live this life and there's going to be all these challenges. He promises that there's going to be challenges but he says, guess what? I have overcome everything that's going to happen in this world. Every single thing I have overcome. And to me, that's the hope. So every little step of faith that I get to take is because I know the end story that Jesus promised, that he is the victory at the very end of the line. When I die, I'm going to be reunited with him. But also he came so I could know how to live this life right here and now on earth. And it's just, to me, that's the most exciting thing about having a a relationship with him is that I get to live today knowing that, yeah, there is going to be a tomorrow, but along the journey, yeah, some pretty cool things happen in the midst of all the hard things. And Jesus promises that that's exactly what a life with him is like.
0: What is one of your most favorite stories that you can share about a woman in the 20 years you have worked that you have seen her life transformed or you have seen a God tap happen or you have seen a progression?
1: Well, I have an old story. I have a new story, but let me I'll tell my most recent story. And I am pretty sure that it's a friend of mine who is going to be listening to this podcast. So um, so I, I, I shan't use her name unless I accidentally use her name. And I think she would be okay if it did pop out accidentally. A couple of years ago during COVID, the Holy Spirit pricked my heart about how women, people weren't going to church, right? And so I, along with a a technical expert, a friend of mine, we set up an online Zoom. We called it The Gathering. It was a fireside chat. I did it in my home in, in Alabama. And we invited anybody who wanted to come be a part of these fireside chats. And we did them for four weeks. And I had asked We were minimally kind of reentering into where people could kind of start getting together, but not in a big way. So I had asked if it would be possible to have about eight women who would be in the audience because I seem to do better if there's somebody physically that I can look at. And one of the women happened to be in the community that we lived in, and she was kind of a friend of a friend. I really didn't know her, but she was willing because some people just quite frankly weren't willing to sit in a room with other people yet we all sat with our masks on and she joined our group this little gathering and I don't know if she was exactly sure where she was at on her faith journey and so we did the four weeks of the gathering and I could tell that she had a lot of questions she came over to my home after the gathering experience and we sat and had coffee And I actually shared a Bible with her, which is my favorite Bible that I use. And I said, you can have the same one that I have and we can talk about it whenever you want. And through the course of that conversation, I felt like the Lord was asking me to ask her, if I were to do a summertime Bible study sitting at my kitchen table, would that be something you would be interested in coming to? And she said, I would love that. And so there were about six of us that did a Bible study in my home that summer. And she was a part of that. That Bible study then led to a little bit larger of a Bible study that I facilitate on Tuesday mornings. We call it the Sisters of the Round Table, And uh, she is part of that Bible study. And I will tell you her faith journey, she would say, because she was sitting at my kitchen table just a couple of weeks ago and said, I have said this many times that I was spiritual, that I loved the Lord and I knew who the Lord was. But she said, I don't think I really had connected all the dotted lines. And I have had the privilege of being the fly on the wall of watching her faith journey start really in January of COVID of 20 was that 2020 of her saying I kind of am spiritual to a a woman who is sitting at my kitchen table in 2023 saying I'm sold out for Jesus and I would say she is unapologetically Jesus. Yeah. Her faith journey has gone from being kind of a spiritual, I kind of go to church, to someone who has really fallen in love with Jesus as her Lord and Savior. And that's pretty cool to get to watch. You'd love to say you had some part of that or whatever, but the truth of the matter is the Lord just got hold of her heart and her life. And it's just been very fun to watch. Very fun. Nothing better
0: than that, Karen. It's amazing to me what faith does to oneself when they find that moment. And it's a relief. It's a release. It is Mm -hmm. sometimes gut-wrenching. It is a beautiful place of peace that you find yourself in. We talk a lot about this with Unconditionally Her because our audience caters to more our age group. But It's very interesting. Sometimes you have to grow into faith a little bit. And I guess I just wish at times I had paid more attention. And I think women sometimes may live with that, going, I really wish I had found this Mm -hmm. earlier. And Mm -hmm. what is your response to that? I absolutely believe God works outside,
1: outside of time he created time parameters for you and me. He does not, he doesn't need a clock or a 24 hour day. And so I believe wholeheartedly that he redeems time. I had a friend one time say, oh my gosh, I didn't raise my boys going to church. And now I lost all those years of my influence on them. And I totally believe that the lord will come back and he will honor somehow he will those boys will see in her life this amazing new hunger for god and for a love of jesus that would be more powerful than if they went to church every sunday for their growing up years i i absolutely believe he is a god who can work outside of our time restraints do i wish that every person had the opportunity to know and have a hunger and a love for Jesus from the day they were born? Absolutely. But for, the, for those of us and those that don't have that, sometimes it's just sweeter when they eventually find that. And I believe that that's how the Lord works with every individual life. And, t- and I challenge women, please don't look at other women's relationship with the Lord and go, I wish I had that, or I wish I had been, I had the Bible knowledge that you have. And I'm like, well, honey, I've, I have taught a Bible study for 25 years. I've, I've, I kind of know the Bible a little bit. I'm not saying I've arrived and there. Let me just tell you, it is alive and sharper than a double-edged sword, it says. And I am always learning, but I've just done it longer. But honestly, the wisdom of the women sitting around the table on Tuesday mornings that I facilitate a Bible study who haven't been in the word their whole lives. Oh, my goodness, Karen. Sometimes I just sit there with my jaw drop. You know, they know so much about perception of how the Lord is working in their lives that I never, never experienced. So I just, I don't want any woman to ever go there with, I wish I had of, you know, the, The Lord just doesn't work that way.
0: Well, guilty is charged. I do that a lot. I have a dear friend, Sandy Williams, and I'm calling her out right here. And she has such a beautiful ability. She's been in the teaching profession, just retired. But the way that she understands the Bible, the way that she understands scripture, the way that she applies what she learns even though she's had her own probably bumps and baubles along her life. It's so beautiful to watch her. And at the same time, I'm like, I want to be that solid. I'm guilty of that too. I want to be, I want to know more. I want, when people ask me something about the Bible, I want to be able to immediately respond. And I was called to do maybe stuff more like what I'm doing now, as opposed to that past. And um, I have the greatest Sunday school at Brentwood United Methodist Church. Every woman in there is so remarkably, beautifully created different. You know, they're all, we're all different. But yet when we come together, you can feel the spirit in the room. You can feel the right. faith in the room. And you crave that. And once you mm-hmm. find that community of faith, there is a craving you want to stay and you want to grow. And while your life may be different, you may live across the country from someone. Faith doesn't have to be sitting in front of you for you to feel. Right, right. But you talk about time. And I, I have to um, address this because in our pre-call, you said something that I started doing. And I need to tell you that as we were talking, my phone went off. You talk about that you schedule your week three by faith and that you find time for your faith. And one of the things you do is you set your alarm every day. So that buzz everyone just heard was, You inspired me, and I want you to tell that story of what you do. And I'm going to turn off my
1: phone. Well, it's a new practice, kind of based on an old tradition. You know, the Israelites prayed morning, noon, and night, right? And I spend a fair amount of time with the Lord every morning, first thing in the morning. And Typically some in the evening, but that middle of the day part just kind of seems to get lost. Years ago, it's not new that doing it for years. And anybody who knows me knows that this is going to happen if they spend the noon hour with me. But I set an alarm on my phone that is Jesus calling me. And I promised him if he called me every day at noon, which he does because my phone is set to for him to call me. And if he interrupts my day, and to be honest with you, that was my goal. I wanted Jesus to interrupt whatever I was doing at noon every day because I get so focused on all the activities of the day, I might not even think about him. And so I promised him if he interrupted my day that I would say his name out loud, no matter who I was with or what I was doing. And some days I'm a little bit more thoughtful and more prayerful at noon when he interrupts my days. And some days I just say, Thank you, Jesus, for reminding me who you are today. And and I click off my alarm. But it, it is hilarious because if you if you've been around me any amount of time at noon, when he when he calls, friends will say, Well, Jesus is calling. You need to go get that. <laughs> or my husband will have me the phone and say, Jesus is calling you. And and I just find it. So sweet. It's just kind of one of those fun faith things that you can do in your life that doesn't really require a lot of work, Um, but it, but it has been very meaningful to me over the years. Well, it's not about just
0: the requiring, it literally can change the day for you. You could be going through a tough day and Jesus calls or you set your alarm. And even if you just have time to say, thanks, Jesus. Just amazing. And can you imagine if every woman set their alarm and we all just said a prayer, what Mm -hmm. we could do and what this world could be and how we could change so much if we just took that few minutes? And so, thank you for my alarm that goes off, Mm -hmm. which just did. And that was (laughs) the buzz. Yours goes off at 12. Mine goes off at 11. I want to talk a little bit about you being an author, and you wrote a book called A Wild and Wonderful Life, Say Yes to Mm -hmm. Your Immeasurably More Jesus Story. But before we talk about it, I'm going to do this. I have to read a portion. There is a forward in this book that I literally had to take a moment, and I am got a little emotional there. I had to take a moment, and I was like, I started reading it, not realizing who wrote it. And then when I realized who wrote it, I had to set it down. Um, uh, Give me a second. Let me just say it's worth writing a whole book for
1: if you can have someone write the foreword that wrote my foreword. You bet.
0: Let me just go start here. As a financial analyst, I work with numbers every day. The world we live in seems to want to quantify everything, rank and order all types of activities and dealings, Earthly success often appears to be measured by a dollar amount, bottom line, number of users or followers, material possessions, or raw intelligence. But I wholeheartedly believe Susan's life epitomizes success in the most immeasurable, yet fundamental and essential way through human relationships. And then I read, in closing, I am proud to call Susan Campbell, my mother, my friend, and the most important spiritual mentor in my life. The impact you have made on your family and your son, Jack. I mean, how does that make you feel? Well, it's interesting
1: because at the beginning of this podcast, um, I talked about how I always envisioned I'd be in a corporate building on the 32nd floor and that my life really didn't turn out that way. And it was because the Lord really had something so much more important in mind. And that was to be a spiritual role model for another person's life. And I took that job pretty darn serious. And uh, and I, uh, I love church, but I didn't think that church was the only avenue or how I wanted to raise my son. And so he's an only child. I was a remedial mom. I joke about this. I think I had Jack and the Lord double crossed his fingers and just said, I hope this one works out because I'm giving him to her. And so I didn't really have this great idea of what that looked like, but I knew the disciplines I wanted him to have in his life and the love for Jesus that I wanted to try to transfer to him. And so I lived my life that way. And it didn't end up on the 32nd floor. A lot of other amazing, cool, uh, God, amazing, I think you call them Jesus tap, things happened in my life that I could have. And that's what I write about. Could not have, uh, I never could have dreamed them. Never could have dreamed the things that happened in my life. Had I been on a 32nd floor, I'm not saying the 32nd floor wouldn't have been awesome. And God could have used that. He certainly could have. But he just chose a different path for me that that I never dreamt of initially. And so that's why I always love talking about God-sized dreams is that you need to dream it. And uh, when you sit in the closet on the floor, not knowing what to do with a three-year-old child, God's like, "Will you just dream. Little itty bitty dreams. And I'm going to do immeasurably more in your life with that. And so then, tw- however, 20 some years later, I had the great privilege of asking my son to write the foreword to the book. And, uh, and he did. So, yeah.
0: he You taught him a lot of lessons and you taught him about Jesus, but he taught you a lesson or two through this whole thing. And oh. I, my f- oh, favorite, favorite chapter is on childlike faith. And I grew up hearing that, have childlike faith. And I'm going to read just a little excerpt if that's okay, but this is so cute. Jack was almost three when we lived in the Kansas City area. I was taking a break from full-time employment to stay home and learn lessons from my son. On this particular day, we had been playing at the house all morning. Now, it was afternoon. We needed to go to the grocery store so we could make something for supper that evening. I placed Jack's red Converse tennis shoes in front of him and asked him to put them on. Then I went to the kitchen to make our grocery list. When I returned from the kitchen, I discovered all the time I had been gone, Jack had only managed to get one shoe on. Apparently, the piddling from the morning had continued into the afternoon. I was a little agitated because I was ready to go. Jack, why don't you have both shoes on? Why are you taking so long? He looked at me and innocently asked, Mom, why are we in a hurry to get to the grocery store? Mm, we weren't in a hurry. In fact, the grocery store was the only big agenda item on our schedule for the day. What was my rush? Hadn't I chosen to take time off to spend with my son? Why couldn't I just slow down and enjoy. And the story will continue, but they'll have to get the book to finish the story. But I learned a lesson, and I want to talk about the word hurry slowly. That was incredibly inspiring in this book, and it resonated with me as even in semi retirement, I'm always in a rush. And we talk about that as women, we're always in a rush. Yet sometimes we fail to hurry slowly to get those messages from God. And mm-hmm. your book really opened my eyes. How did that term
1: come about? I honestly don't know because it's been a term in my life for so many years. In fact, my friend Peggy did a cross-stitch sampler and for those of you who don't know a sampler is you know the little cross stitching that um, has the alphabet and different motifs and animals and the out al- it, it has like I said the ABCs and she cross stitched a beautiful piece for me but I had come across this phrase and this literally 25 years ago hurry slowly and I said that's the life I want to live I want to live the hurry slowly life because I am a person who is busy and on the move. I am, especially at that point in my life, a perpetual motion kind of person, but I didn't want to miss the moments. And that was for me, that has been a huge mantra my whole life about not missing the moments for the important. you know, when you've got the important in front of you, but not missing the moments. And so she cross-stitched this piece for me. And at the very bottom of it, she wrote that little phrase, hurry slowly. And it has always sat in my office as a reminder of how I want to live my life. And I feel like it's the life of Jesus. Hurry slowly. Because here, you think about it, he came as a baby, (laughs) lived on earth for 33 years with a very specific goal in mind. And that was to die, right? To die on a cross. So he knew all of what he, needed to do on this earth. But when you study and look at the disciples who followed him, half the time they were going, huh, what are we doing? We're going out of our way to go to some town to talk to some person. That doesn't really seem like we're following the agenda that Jesus has in mind for us. We're going out of our way a long way to do some different things. And I've been pondering a lot, a story, and I'll just share this. It's kind of a secret because I have been really pondering about writing about this for my next book. And it is the big thrust of my next book, but it's the story of Zacchaeus. And Jesus was on his way to the cross to die. And he knew that. And he went through a town called Jericho and Jericho was a crossroads, uh, which is interesting. And there were 12,000 priests that lived in the town of Jericho. And Jesus has been telling the disciples, we're going to Jerusalem. That's our goal. That's our end goal. That's where I'm going. That's where I'm going to die. They didn't completely understand it, but they knew that that was the end goal. But along the way, they stop in this town of Jericho, and there's this little short guy named Zacchaeus. And everybody's like, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming. And little Zacchaeus, he can't see above the crowds because he's short. The scripture is very clear about that. He climbs up in a tree and Jesus goes out of his way to walk these roads because he needed to talk to one person. And it was Zacchaeus. And if you were in Sunday school, you know, there's a cute little song about Zacchaeus. I would love for that to get out of our minds. But he looked <laughs> up, to the, up the tree to Zacchaeus and do you know what he said to him? Hurry down. He told Zacchaeus down. to hurry, but to, to hurry. And then he says, Because I'm going to stay at your house. He didn't stay overnight. He just stayed at his house. So Jesus really co- was the one who coined this phrase, hurry slowly, because he tells Zacchaeus, What you're hurrying to is me. And then when you find me, I want you to intentionally and slowly and momentously. Do all of the things that make life abundant and done well. And so we have to decide in our lives what we must hurry to. And for me, the vision is so clearly that it is always hurrying to Jesus, whatever that looks like, so that everything else gets put proportionately into our lives in a more methodical, intentional, slower, perhaps maybe fast uh, pace, but that our end goal is always to hurry to Jesus and whatever happens along the way. And Jesus lived that life. And, and in the, my next book, it's going to be stories of people who hurried to Jesus, but maybe not in the way, in the fashion that we think they might've been hurrying So, or how they did that. Yeah, so I, I love that phrase. Mm-hmm.
0: And I love that song because it's never left me. And I've never thought of it in the way that you just told the story. But yeah, the Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he (laughs) climbed up in a sycamore tree. (laughs) Clever way to teach the children. I'll be teaching Luke's song, right? Yeah. And um, And Karen, I will tell you his name...
1: When you say you're going to be teaching Luke, that that story is only told in one of the gospel stories, and it's in the book of Luke, just so you know. Oh, well,
0: there you go. um, I, I want to ask you, for those who lack faith or who are feeling alone or who are challenged in their faith right now, maybe they're at a crossroads, what can you say to them or what would you say to them? Well, I think...
1: So often we, we want to look at kind of what we don't have or that the glass is half empty. And I think when you talk about faith, you have to think about what you do have. And in scripture, there are over 5,000 promises that God has made to you and to me and to every single listener. And those promises, let me just tell you a couple of them. It says that he delivers you from fear. And that's in Psalm 34. And John, first John 1 9, he will forgive you. In Hebrews 10 23, he is faithful. He will never quit loving you in Jeremiah. And for me, the biggest promise that God kind of makes for my everyday living, Karen, is that he's my best friend. In John 15, in fact, I wrote a whole children's book about that, that in John 15, 15, Jesus says, I have called you friend. And for me, that promise is something that is my life testimony. When I said, Yes, I want a personal relationship with Jesus. I want him to be a part of my everyday life. It was that promise where Jesus said, I am your best friend. And then he goes on to say, and I will never leave you. I will always be a part of your life. There is nothing that's going to happen today or tomorrow that you will do alone in this life. And so for me personally, faith is the series of promises that God has made in my life with the biggest promise that he says that once and for all, I have overcome the world. Jesus promised, and it is in John 16, that he says, in this world, you're going to have struggles. He promises that too. You're going to have a hard time, but, and there's this is the hugest, but in all of scripture, take heart, I have overcome the world. And so it's just this amazing reminder that the creator of this universe is always with me. Not just when my phone buzzes at noon and I happen to remember that, oh, Jesus is calling. No, according to the scriptures, God says, when you're in the middle of the fire, I walk that with you. When the waters come over your head, I'm journeying with you. He promises that in a book of Isaiah in scripture. And so over and over, I know what I do have rather than what I don't have. And God, I think, is really in that business. And that's why I think there are so many promises in scripture where he says, I just want you to know who I am and what I want for you and who you are to me. You know, in scripture, he says, you are mine. So when we feel like that the problems of today's life are just too hard and too big, we can look to him and go, you're bigger than any problem that I'm ever going to face. So how do I step through this? I grab hold of your hand spiritually, and I just let you go with me through this. And I don't want that to sound like that's a simple answer to, I know our problems are hard and real in this world that there are things, there are struggles and they, and some of the problems seem never ending (laughs) that we just can't see the end in sight to how, like we're in a situation, we go, how is this going to end? Like, Lord, how are you going to work this out? And somewhere along the line, as you have kept your faith bucket, right? You wake up one morning and you go, well, somehow I made it through yesterday. And I think it's because it's a promise that God has made that said, I'm going with you today on everything you do. Jesus said, I have come that you have life and that you have it more abundantly. So what the promise is to that is, is that he wants us to know that even in the middle of all of our struggles and our challenges, that there is still a peace and a joy that can come in our lives that we can't understand because the world does not offer that. Jesus offers that. In fact, there's the very, very first verse I ever memorized, and um, I'm going to paraphrase it, but is Romans 5, 3 through 5. And it says, we can rejoice, rejoice, really, we can rejoice in our problems and trials because trials presents perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And it goes on to say, hope doesn't disappoint us because God has poured out his spirit through love. And so Romans 5 says, oh yeah, you're going to have some suffering, but we can rejoice in that because what's happening in that is that God is building us up to be a spiritually strong person who just loves Jesus, simply put. And that comes from the love of the Holy Spirit living in our hearts. And so God says, oh yeah, yeah, it's going to be hard in this world, but you know what? I've overcome it. And that is the promise. Our church has a, a phrase that that they have claimed, and we hear it every Sunday, and it's, Jesus wins. Jesus wins. We know the very, very, very end of the story of our life on earth, and it's that Jesus wins. So when it looks like there's no way out or it's hopeless and that we, don't, we can't see a hope in a future, God says, oh, well, let me just tell you something. This world is not all there is. There's so much more. And I've already won that battle. And that's a pretty substantial promise that I think the world needs to know. If you're listening to this and you're going through something that you can't even get your arms around, I'm praying for you. And I'm praying that Jesus will wrap his arms around you and somehow you will feel the presence of the Holy spirit of Jesus working in your life right this minute, because that's the kind of God Jesus is. He wants to be present in your everyday hard things. And in my mind, good things as well. So I don't know. I'm sorry. I kind of went on a little sermon there, but
0: no, I but just you, am so
1: passionate of, you know, about that.
0: You, you brought up so much. And I think it's presence is very important. And we talk a lot about that. And I think that um, we need to have our faith for today, feeling the love today and changing your alarm to go off to say, all right, Jesus, here we are today. And it's kind of that, that moment, I think that check mark of, you know, I can get through today. I will have the faith today. I love how you talk about your relationship with Jesus as he's your best friend. And you talk about that periodically about your relationship with Jesus as you have your best friend, Gina, correct? And people sometimes because you can't touch, you can't feel, you can't see Jesus, but right. you can see your best friend. You can pick up the phone and you can talk to him. I love how you compare that. That is so brilliant. How did you come to that kind of comparison in your life? And how did that make Jesus more real for you and your faith stronger?
1: Because I did. not ne- I loved the idea of Jesus being real in my life. And I am a very visual and storyteller type person. And I think about how do I have a relationship with Jesus? I say I love him. Well, how do I have that relationship with him? Well, I spend time with him. Well, that's not any more different than my relationship is with my best friend. The way I get to know her better and create history with her is that we spend time together. We have experiences. That was for me a very important piece of understanding what a faith journey looks like is for those of us who, you know, we want that more of that experience of Jesus. Well, the truth of the matter is how much time do we really spend with him? The more time we spend with him and the things, the journeys that we've gone through in life, I talk about how I have history with my best friend. We have a tradition for every single thing we did, you know, going back to school and with our kids. And on the first day of school, we did one thing. And then on the last day of school, we did another. And on our birthdays, we did another. And we just had created all these traditions and and things that were part of our everyday life and part of the season of our life. And that's exactly what we do with Jesus as well, is as we've gone on our journey called life, you go, oh, yeah, remember that time when we... Prayed that somebody would quit cussing. We I talk about the cussing coach in, in this book. And my son and I decided to pray to make ask the coach to quit cussing so much. And uh and and you'll have to read the book. It's a kind of a lengthy story. But long story short, the coach came to the kids, these baseball boys, and said, I'm gonna quit cussing. I've been very convicted. Well, of course, my son was like, Well, that wasn't us we did. It. We prayed to asked him to <laughs> quit cussing. And so it was this great faith journey, but we look and we go, that was the history that was created with Jesus for my son was to see that he had prayed and asked Jesus to help him with something. And he did. And we always go, I can't even believe that really happened. And we're like, well, we asked for it, but that's what Jesus does. He goes on these journeys with us and we see things that happen and it creates history. So yes, I do believe that having Jesus in my life or is very much like having a best friend and the things you do with your best friend. So yes, absolutely.
0: Susan, as we wrap up this podcast, I have to um, ask you the question, do you like peas? Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And I have to ask that because that is the title of your children's book. And let me just say there are a million children's books out there. And but I need to give kudos To you as a writer, but also to Beth Snyder as as an illustrator. Right. Absolutely fantastic. And I can't wait to share this book with little Luke and little Zoe along the way. But this whole book talks about friendship. And I don't want to give it all away, but there's Olive. There's Marie. There's Ruby. And there's Sally. And then there's Jesus. Mm -hmm. And there's a common denominator in there. And it's all about a question. Do you like peas? How did you come up with this concept? So my mother
1: and her girlfriend, Ruth, had this little phrase coined, do you like peas? And it really is the question of when you are brand new in your friendship, and I'll say this to someone when I'm having coffee with them for the first time, I'm like, we're in the, do you like peace stage? I just want you to know I'm going on the record of naming what we're doing. And it's when you're getting to know someone. So it's, do you like to go to movies or would you prefer reading books? Do you like to run and exercise or are you a stay at home person? Do you like broccoli or do you like peas? And it's those questions that you ask each other as you're getting to know each other. And of course, those are all the kind of shallow questions. But that is what we do, right? Uh, When we're becoming friends with people. The very beginning of the podcast, you mentioned something about um, you wish that you had the the Bible knowledge of your friend Sandy. And I get that. But the do you like peace is so much a part of that is all of us have to start Our relationship with Jesus at some place. And it usually starts with this Do you like peace? Because we, with Jesus, it's not like we know everything about him from the first day that we say, Oh, I want you to be a part of my life. It is a growing, natural progression of getting to know someone. And we put so much pressure on ourselves of how deep and wide is our relationship with Jesus. And the truth of the matter is, every one of us starts at a Do you like peace stage of, you know, how do I get to know you better and what kinds of things do I do to get to know you better? We all start there. And so it is a phrase that certainly is a, a very secular phrase that we use, I use with girlfriends all the time of how we're getting to know each other. But that's exactly how it is with our relationship with Christ, is we spend time, we ask those questions of getting to know you better. So that's kind of where Do You Like Peace came from. Honestly, my mother coined that phrase, and I always loved it. So,
0: Well, I think we have asked the questions, Do You Like Peace? today, and people have gotten to know <laughs> yes. you. Your life and your spirit is a joy. Your faith, again, is contagious. You are a life and a light to all that come into your world. I want to thank well, you. Thank you I, so much. Can I just much. really quickly say thank you Karen. I
1: oh. as we're a newer friendship but I feel like a forever friendship and it's been an honor to get to talk to the people of unconditionally her because your your magazine is amazing. Oh. And I know that means the readers are amazing. And so now you're doing a, an amazing podcast and just expanding that and what an honor it is to get to sit down with you and visit uh, with the things that matter most, and that's what you're gonna continue to get to do, and, and I just appreciate the
0: opportunity. Faith is not about having all the answers or never feeling doubt or fear. Rather, it's trusting in something that's greater than ourselves. If you're struggling to find faith, know that it's okay to take it one step at a time. Remember, faith is a journey, not a destination, and it's never too late to begin. For more on Susan Campbell, you can find her at morethanyouimagine.com. And if you're looking for more uplifting articles, jump on over to unconditionallyheard.com and say hi. Let's all take a minute to learn to hurry slowly, all while we're living a wild and wonderful life. Thanks for listening, everyone. And until next time, keep the faith.